How you living? How you doing? How you feeling? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E man. Man, I've never felt more embarrassed during the podcast intro. There's something about Dan Soder, who's our guest today, that I feel like he has already looked into my brain and he has already acknowledged that I am in front of an elementary school photo backdrop. Dude, the fact that you were able to grab that backdrop is unbelievable. I mean, it's a good I'm, backdrop. Ready? Look. I didn't know that you had people at Life Touch that could just fly you in one of those backgrounds. You should have done the white ladder that everyone was half climbing. I like that. The best part is the people's pictures on a on a on a like a something like this, the box that it comes in. And it's yeah. all the activities that you can do with a random background. And it's all like photos at homes with your kids. <laughs> yeah, man, that is, if you're, if you're buying that personally, that kind of background, you are either hosting a podcast in quarantine or you love to do professional shoots with your very small children. Uh, if you do not know Dan Soder, then I don't know where you've been. Uh, he is the very popular character, Mafi on Billions, one of my favorites. He is a special on HBO called Son of a Gary, which literally made me laugh out loud multiple times. And Ingber yes. knows I'm that guy at a comedy show that if I think something's really funny, I go, that was really well put together. So the yeah. fact that you got me a few times, man, it was great. That means a lot. That means, yeah, there's a lot of people that will say that after comedy shows when you think you bomb as a comic, and then they're like, I was really enjoying that. And you're like, cool, I, I don't know that when I'm on stage. My insides were going nuts, man. Yeah, sometimes you'll see people smiling, and they're like, that was amazing. And you're like, I just ate it because you didn't make any noise out of your face. When I got no momentum. Completely off to this tangent, if you go to a, to a comedy show, do you laugh? Because I feel like you have a great no. laugh. No. Uh, if I do laugh, it's it's kind of like what you said. If if I laugh, you got me. Mm. If I if I laugh, you really got me. But if um, most of the time, it's it's exactly what you said. It's like, oh, that's funny. That's very funny. You see, that's like the, the construct of how it's put together. Yeah, exactly. Conan O'Brien said that in his um, Inside the Actor Studio interview. He was like, "I've been around comedy too long that you're just like, that's really funny." So if I'm laughing, it'll be like, "Wow, that joke got me." My friends can still make me laugh. It's weird how like comics that I grew up loving can still really make me laugh like that. Colin Quinn, Dave Attell, Bill Burr. I read an article where you were interviewed and you kind of gave the influences and you yeah. went for a few sentences on a special that I have watched upwards of 500 times, which is Killing Him Softly by Dave Chappelle. Oh, yeah, that's the I have, I, when I So I lived in Nebraska when I first started my career. <sighs> Man, they always say you got to start off in like mid-markets, but Nebraska is the place to start. Unbelievable. What's like, what city? I'm from Colorado. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're right. Colorado, Nebraska, right there. You get it. Yeah, I always joke around that the uh, the triplet sisters were Colorado, Kansas, and Nebraska, and then Colorado got fake tits, and now Kansas and Nebraska are jealous. I you and they all feel connected. Missouri's in there too, but it is like yeah, Missouri's. Yeah, Missouri wants to be southern, but it's also midwestern. It's got a lot of things going. Kansas on. is just Nebraska with hills. Like that's the yeah. only difference between those two things. Kansas is even, I would even argue that it in parts way flatter than Nebraska. It is, man, to start in Nebraska. Yeah, but anyway, the reason I said that was I had the six CD changer, and one of them was the Killing Them Softly CD. And I would, I would sit in my car with my friends, and we would smoke and hang out, and that's we would listen to it. And it was like every fucking joke hits. I, it, it's insane you're saying that because that is almost exactly um, – I was, I want to say, 16 or 17 where Napster came out. And oh, yeah. Everyone was, like, downloading, like, you know, and I did, too, like, albums and stuff, and you just grab all the music you Your could. Your first download on Napster was what? 
Oh man, it was like a mix CD. It was a mix CD of everything. And I'm not proud of this. I'm gonna throw two bands on there that I'm not proud of that it was on there. Corn and Creed. Cause I think they were like Get arms wide open. Oh yeah, dude. Everyone listens. If you put Creed on at a at a at a bar, people will like look at each other, but halfway through they're gonna fucking do it. I recently poisoned everyone's ears on the bonfire because George Kittle retweeted um, Creed's halftime show from 2001 at the Cowboys game on the Thanksgiving halftime. And I was like, dude, this is great. And then everyone's tweeting at me like, you son of a bitch. I have higher in my... Yeah. Well, let's go there. I've just been saying that around the apartment. Listen, oh, let's my fiance, go there. My fiance, she's going to kill me for this. Yeah, she genuinely likes Nickelback. Ooh, see, that's I can't. And she's I Nigerian, can't. so you need to understand yeah. that it messes with people. And I yeah. photograph. It's kind of a banger. No, of- dude, I can't. I can't. I can. Uh, I feel like a. I feel like in um, the Godfather, where they're like, "No drugs. I'm fine with crime. Just no drugs." That's how I feel about Nickelback. I'm like, I my first Napster was Ja Rule Hala Hala. Whoa. Very proud. My second one though was BB Mac. Um, I don't remember what their song was, but they were in the the, the video was the, the the Eye of London. Yeah, I remember being like, "Oh, you can download stuff that you can't find at the at Angelo's, which was like the CD store." Mine you was to. the Wall or Fye. Yeah, dude, CDs and uh, DVDs and stuff. But I remember being like, "Oh, I can't find Outkast's first album, mm-hmm. Southern Playlistic." So I think that was my second download that I like asked my friend where you had the stack of CDs, and you're like. Please, can you burn me two CDs? Oh, CDRs were yeah, gold. Dude. They were great. If and you then when you saw DVDR, you're like, is this what a 401k is like in physical? Same kid, same kid that found out about Napster realized that you could burn all of the Dreamcast games, so oh. you didn't have to buy any Dreamcast games. So one, of, we we went out on a Dreamcast and had like NFL 2K was oh, on there. Cool um the first ufc game which was a lot of fun was on dreamcast dreamcast was yeah. great dude dreamcast was awesome so, but dave Ch- but dave Chappelle's yeah, killing him softly was i started just downloading comedy i was i would go over to my friend's house and ask for like uh different albums of comics like i got both the chris rock specials dave Chappelle's killing him softly carlin and then like weird ones from the 80s that i didn't know if you could get the album like rodney dangerfield and other ones where i was like hey can you look this up Man. And then I ended up just, they would rip the HBO One Night Stands on there. So anybody with an HBO One Night Stand, so I had Dave Chappelle's, Patton Oswalt's, and a couple other people, and I would just were listen you to that. at that time, even at that age, listening for, or were you just enjoying? I think I was like, um, at that point, I started actively trying to make my friends, I think I always made my friends laugh, but then like, in high school, I was kind of like, oh, I want to make my friends laugh. And we were in the garage. I was one of those kids whose mom let them smoke weed at yeah, their house. I was you know, not that, that kid. Yeah, most kids weren't. And uh, hindsight, it turned out okay for me, but it shouldn't have. But when You're I was also 16. in Colorado. I feel like that was a. Dude, that, that whole thing of everyone thinking Colorado's always been cool with weed. Boulder's always been cool with weed. Gotcha. And Denver's been a little lax about it, but they were never like, yeah it was still yeah. a, i think a, a class one narcotic when i was growing that up it was still like you a, just made like when i grew up that's how when somebody would be like hey john elway and you're like oh john elway yeah yeah yeah. i um i hate that voice because i grew up a 49er fan so anytime anyone's like go broncos i'd be like eh, go, go. i would do the same thing john elway man hated it 
hate I didn't hate the Broncos. I just hated how much everyone pushed the Broncos on me. But um, but you got to ex- we'll talk about the Niners in a second. But back to Chicago. yeah. Oh, I mean, I could talk Niners all day. Perfect. But um, but yeah, that was the, the when I first started trying to make my friends laugh was in the garage, just like getting stoned and being like, oh, I'm actively trying to make my friends laugh and it's working. Right. And that was when I started being like, I think I want to do stand up, which, you know, didn't pan out for a while. I think it took yeah. me about four years to start doing, but should have done it then. If you're 16 and you want to do stand up, go do an open mic. You know, it's because that's it. I saw um, the Mark Twain Award for Chappelle, which, yeah. I mean, Neil destroyed that. Yeah, like, Neil, everyone that gave Neil me Brennan, which was a longtime creator with Chappelle for The Chappelle Show and a writer and comedian himself, three mics on Netflix is great. But his joke of setting up Chappelle when he was like, I, I just needed that for proof that I contributed anything to The Chappelle Show. I just, it was so good. Yeah, I mean, Neil is, uh, you know, Neil's hilarious, and that was a great speech at the thing. Also, a big Kevin Brennan fan. So, you know, I like the Brennans. I'm just a big fan of the family. Completely. Um, so, but, but everybody was talking about Chappelle as this guy that was coming to the New York comedy scene at such a young age. And I just, you know, they were looking at it as he was a prodigy, which I'm sure he is because he's so amazing with everything he does. But to be around that stuff at such a young age, it has to like, I have to imagine it's like having good shooting form when you're starting off playing basketball. I think he's a one in a billion. I think okay. he's a one in a, I, he's a LeBron. He's a mm-hmm. guy where uh, the pressure was put on him at a young age and he still came through. I, I think there's like, to, to try to compare anybody to Chappelle is like, you're just an idiot. Just He just is the best that did it. Started at 14 in D.C. 14? Oh, I thought yeah. it was older than that. No, I started at 14 and then, I mean, I, I, don't, I swear to God, I don't work for A&E or James Lipton. But go watch his Inside the Actor Studio because it is um, unbelievable. And he has a line in there where his Inside the Actor Studio came out shortly right. after, he, after he came back from Africa. And it was an unbelievable interview. But it was right before I moved to New York City. And he has a part in it where the, uh, James Lipton asked him, he's like, you, you moved to New York City at 18. And he's like, yeah, I worked at a Toys R Us for a week. And then I did stand-up. But he said he broke into the New York comedy clubs within two weeks and he says that. He goes, New York City comedy is a very hard thing to crack. And I was in every club within two weeks. Wow. It took me two and a half years to get into two clubs. <laughs> so it's like, wow. you know, the, how good he is, is you, what do to you compare. Mean by in? What do you mean by in? Like to work, like, to be able to like go do actual sets where you're like. But I mean, do you, it, it, do you go there and you like request a time or like how does it. No, I, I got in because uh, New York City open mics are insane. Mm. They are, I mean, literally you see insane people. You just see people that you're like, oh, this guy is off just the street. Just wanted a just, microphone tonight. Yeah, man. And then yeah. you see people where you're like, man, that guy is really funny. Really, really funny. And I moved, I started doing comedy in Tucson, Arizona at Laughs Comedy Club. And then I moved to New York and immediately was like, oh, I have to relearn how to write jokes. This is mm. insane. But Oh, so you had what, like an Arizona banger that you tried in New York and dude, you were like, what the fuck just happened? Ate it. First time what I was it? What, do you remember it? Oh, dude, it was one of the hackiest jokes. Remember that show? Um, uh, it was called, um, it wasn't Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It was called like, there was, oh God. it was on VH1 and it was like a knockoff of that. Gotcha. And I had a joke about how they don't do that show about broke people. Mm. And it was just such a pandery bullshit joke. And God, what was it called? 
it wasn't called there, Lifestyles Literacy. This is gonna drive me nuts, but it was on VH1. It was. It wasn't called. It wasn't like. Uh, it was a British speaking host as well. Yes, and okay. it was like. Oh man, I forget what the show is. It's gonna hey, bug me. At Jenna, yeah. Jennifer Aniston's. And I did that. God. I did that hacky voice, yeah. and I was like, Don Soda drinks pop off vodka, and they're like, Yeah, and it was like this just really pandery thing. And I remember I did it in New York. I remember I moved here, and I saw a couple people at this show I was on, and I was like, I think they're gonna be pleasantly surprised. And I just did that joke, and it was like nothing. And you're like, Oh man, oh man, oh man. And then the cold water hits, oh. and then you're just like, Oh. Hey, you guys, you guys go on dates. Dates are tough. And then I was bombed. Uh, I think my first set. But then oh. I noticed open mics weren't doing anything for me. I mean, I was doing open mics as much as I could, but there was these things in New York City called uh, check spots, where yeah. each club has five different comedians go on, and they all or six comics, and they all do fifteen minutes. And in between the fifth and sixth comedian, they drop the checks for the show. So the sixth comic is usually the best comic of the night. They drop the checks in between the fifth and sixth comic. And I learned that if you're a young comic, they'll put you, the host doesn't want to eat that time. They don't want to just sit there while everyone's paying their check. So they'd be like, yeah, you could put a young comic up. And it's called a check spot. And so I just started doing all the check spots. Any check spot I could do, I would. I would you kind of show up early. And you're like, I'm going for that. That seems like an opening. Yeah. What's crazy is every other comic I would like the ones that were competing with me for check spots weren't the most mentally sane. They were just like, I want to get on stage. But like the comics kind of at my level were like, dude, that's, what are you doing? You're mm. just going to go bomb. And you're like, yeah, but it's stage time. And then after about a year and a half of doing it close to two years, I just started to learn how to turn the audience. And you're like, mm. Oh, that was a pretty valuable tool to learn. How, how does being able to work an audience impact your day-to-day -day interactions with random people like in New York when we could go outside and we weren't trapped in our rooms? Uh, I don't know how it benefits me. I know I definitely take it harder when I bomb, like making faces for a baby. If, if I'm on like the train and I'm trying to make a baby laugh and I get nothing, I'm like- You look oh, up man. and, the, and the, the mom's looking at you like you're nuts. I'm like, this is a tough, tough kid, huh? I'm the same way. <laughs> like if I see a baby on a train, I'll forget that the parent is there. Yeah. I also talk to dogs with a human voice, like an adult voice. I love that. I'll always say hello to dogs. I'll I be like, what up, dog? And then like yeah. the owner will be like, hey, and I'll be like, listen, man, that wasn't for yeah. That's not for you. I always you tell dogs, it. I always tell dogs I'm a big fan of their work. And I think that always really throws the owner off where they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, but um, people with kids on trains, I've tried to make faces and the kids bomb. And then the, then the adult looks at you like, what are you doing? And you're like, I don't know, man, I was trying to. Um, I just want to finish up the thing about Kellum Soffrey really quick. Of all the jokes in that, from the I didn't know I couldn't do that. It's unbelievable. To uh, the baby on the corner, like yeah. I'm, I'm selling weed. Uh, yeah. To, I mean, there are so many, but was there any of them that were your favorite? Uh, I mean, I think there. I went through phases because the... Um, Sesame Street bit is oh. like one of the greatest of all time, but then I loved the. How many times must I smack you? Yeah, one, I mean, two smacks. Every every single bit on that, but um, and then I loved the, <laughs> then I loved the, voting for president. You know, George Bush is a cokehead. Uh, come on, sign the treaty, baby. I love oh. that. And uh, there I got was a, a lot, lot of friends of, that are weed smoking pontificators. Yeah. yeah, man. There's a lot of there was a lot of bits where I would just kind of shift as I got older. And then, and then I just started like really, like you know how Fish fans or Pearl Jam fans collect 
bootlegs of those bands, I would yeah. do that with Chappelle. I would find any set recorded set. I had one CDR burned that was it was Chappelle's uh, Comedy Central one night stand. It was his Def Jam set, and it was another set that somebody had that was like bootlegged. And then on another CD, I had all of his interviews with like Howard Stern when he was on with David Tell when they were both young, which was insane. And then it, and then that kind of central show was incredible. I mean, yeah, Insomniac was unbelievable. Which oh. I think he he was selling T-shirts at DavidTell.com. Go check that out. Go buy an Insomniac. Insomniac, from, oh, totally. Dude, he's the man. But I, that was when I fell in love. I, I, you know, I think you and I are uh, similar ages, and I think we're the first generation of uh, cable babies where we got to watch cable uh, from a young age, and Comedy Central uh, used to play stand up, so it was you could turn on comedy central at 2 p.m. and the comedy catch. central stand-up that when i think of comedy central stand-ups i think of two people mainly i think of fluffy because i feel like that dude was always on comedy central i but, think that's more recently yeah that's more recent for but sure who's the guy that did little tortilla boy oh pablo francisco to Yo, me, Pablo Francisco, when, that, they played his... when Pablo Francisco would be on Comedy Central, I was like, I cannot wait for the little tortilla voice. Guy. Yeah, man, he would do the movie trailer voice. But what's crazy was I became obsessed with watching Premium Blend. Oh, yeah. And then the Comedy Central half hours where it's how I discovered, um, you know, like Louis. Louis, I remember Dave Attell's uh, right. half hour. Nick Swartzen has the greatest Comedy Central half hour of all time. Yeah. I could argue that. Yeah, man, I, I could go point for point with you. And he was like down. two years into comedy, and he did that half hour. And it is Dane Cook's Comedy Central half hour. You can shit on Dane Cook all you want, but he murders. And then there was like Nick DiPaolo, Patrice O'Neill. There were ones that there were guys that I would Patrice watch. Be, Patrice is unbelievable. Pepsi can rapist joke is like one of the funniest of all time. And then that kind of like the mixture of the internet and comedy central got me to start uh, illegally downloading Opie and Anthony. Mm. And so then I would start listening and then I learned about all the New York guys and that led me to Bill Burr and I got, you know, and then Colin had tough crowd. So there yeah. was like Jim Norton and, you know, obviously Opie and Anthony led me to Jim Norton and Rich Voss and Bobby. So it was just, it was one of those things where I think it's like a natural progression. I think it's like, I think that needs to be more encouraged now. Just like go find the thing that you're like going to spend hours absorbing and learning and then go try to do it. And yes. you know, yeah, that's you when I was like, figure out what it is that you're going to want to pour every waking moment into to the yeah. point where like, you're going to look at people that you really care about and be like, you understand though, because like I need this and it's a part of me and then figure out how do I do that all the time. Yeah. Dude, yeah. 98%, 99.5% of humanity doesn't give a fuck if Rich Voss knows your name. It was a very big deal for me when I got yeah. to know Rich Voss and be like, become friends with him and, and him and Bonnie. And, you know, like these are people that I've watched and, and been fans of. And then you get to come up and stand up and, and get to know them. Dude, that's it's, like, that's how I am. Like the fact that Ernie Johnson will be like, yeah. He'll be like, hey, Lefko. He's like, he's like, how you doing, bud? Like, I was like, did you just call me? And every time I talk to him, I still am like checking that where I want to yeah. tell him every time, even though I've already told him. You're like, Ernie, don't, you don't have to know who I am. Just keep going. You're a legend. Focus. But it, you have shit to do. 
Yeah, but it is. I think that's like a part of uh, chasing something you love is you get to see sometimes your heroes say your name out of their face. We are yes. like, whoa, you know me? That's pretty, so, yeah. Now, well, the fact that you mentioned George Kittle means that it sounds like you've interacted with some of the Niners. Have you, like, talked to any of them? Uh, well, yeah, Kittle um, is a fan of Billions. And so he uh, – this is a great story. He followed me on – I follow – obviously, I was following him on Twitter – and then someone was like, hey, Dan Soder, who plays Mafi in Billions, he was tweeting about Billions, and someone's like, Mafi's a massive 49er fan. Mm. So he followed me back. He's also a big pro wrestling fan, so am I. And so we have DM'd about uh, AEW wrestling. and Because, oh. you know, he goes the Zero Miedo, which is from uh, Zero Fear from Pentagon Jr. Yep. and the uh, Lucha Brothers. And I left it at that. I always left it at that. I had a, I had a joke. Uh, with my girlfriend that he was a close personal friend because we dm'd a couple times so anytime anytime george kittle catch the ball i go close personal friend close personal friend george kittle so um my middle school best friend in seventh and eighth grade uh his name is michael mcdaniel and he is the run game coordinator for the 49ers he is like i was earlier this offseason when the eagles were thinking about off offensive coordinator candidates he is one of the guys that i was like how are you not targeting someone that is under Kyle Shanahan, who is Kyle is protecting, and he's the run game coordinator for a team that just allowed Raheem Mostert to run for 200 yards in a playoff game? I yeah. was like, I was like, That's his design, baby. Was, wow, you went to middle school with him, dude. I was sitting next to him on the couch after the Vikings game when the Eagles called him. <laughs> like I went, like that's we're still Eagles called him after the Vikings game. Well, yeah, he got a call wow. from his agent. He got a call from his agent, and he was like. Because I went to the Vikings. You gave game. me a fucking headline in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thanks. Yeah, no, they uh, they reached out, but they were reaching out to everybody. Oh, but okay. he was like, "Oh, dude, I don't give a fuck. I don't. I think he, you know, he's sticking around." Hype him up, dude. McDaniel's the man, and McDaniel was McDaniel was obsessed with football the way I was obsessed with comedy. So I hated my mom's boyfriend, hated him, and I wouldn't sleep at my house on the weekends. So I would sleep at McDaniel's from Friday to Sunday. I just mm. stayed at his house. And his mom, Donna, was always and great. He's probably just watching football. And all the time. All the time, dude. All the time. We had a rule. I would not play him in Tecmo Super Bowl because it just was not fun. He, he would, would just he destroy would you? Destroy me. Destroy me. He would be the Atlanta Falcons. And then he would, you know, the hop, 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 you know, ready yes. down. Hop, 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 hop. And he would just circle over to Dion. And I would be the 49ers. And this right. is 91 Niners. He got Rice, Taylor, Brent Jones. You got the whole squad. And I'm a diehard for you. Still had Dion because you guys hadn't gotten him yet. We hadn't gotten him yet. So he would be Dion and just drop back. And anytime I would throw it, no matter who, Taylor, Craig, Rice, he would pick it off and run it back doing the Bo Jackson zigzag. Man. Staring at me would go, prime time, prime time. And it would drive me. It's like the thing where you fight, try to fight your friend. Because I'd be yes. like, dude, fuck you. You're beating the shit out of me. Oh, man. So Saturday nights, we would stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. And then the rule was we'd stay up and watch Saturday Night Live, and then we'd wake up at 8 a.m. Colorado time so we could watch – so he could watch all – he wouldn't miss a minute of NFL primetime. Wow. With, with Berman in there. Oh. And he, his stepdad worked for the Broncos. Berman and Tom Jackson is up there with Jordan and Pippen. It's unbelievable. And Madden and Summerall. It's like and, the, and Ernie and Chuck. Yeah. Like, they, like 
those are like the TV duos, but the those duo. two are special, man. Berman and Jackson, man. And it was, oh, man, I missed Jacked Up. CTE really screwed up that segment. Really ruined Really ruined Jacked Up. But he was just like, he had media guides, and he would know everything about the NFL. And he even had this, we played in the same AYL Youth Football League, and in his helmet he wrote, I will make it to the NFL, like in between the pads. He wrote that in like his mom still has that helmet because I've talked to her about it, but um, he went to college, played football at Yale, graduated, decided he wanted to be a coach, got into the NFL, got a internship, worked his ass off, got hired by Kubiak in Houston when Kubiak went to the Texans, yeah, and then went went to a couple different places. Ended oh, up working he's with, been with Kyle for a while then because Kyle in Washington, Kubiak in in Houston and Washington, they bring so a they lot of guys, man. Yeah, they weren't at the time when Mike when McDaniel was in Houston. Kyle was uh, quality control in Tampa, gotcha. and so oh, they met up. Yeah, yeah, they met up. This is oh four oh five. They met up in Washington under Mike Shanahan, and Kyle and McDaniel That's got awesome. you know, and they knew and each other for a while. You're still close with them. Yeah, man, very, very, very close. Uh, him and his wife Katie are awesome. And so that's why how, the reason I'm telling this similarities do you have? Like, what is it like that a lot of people will never understand what your journey is like to do this comedy and to do acting and all that and how it's so isolating and it takes such a grind and then it pops a little bit and then you're hit with like totally new energy from everybody to have somebody that also went through a similar journey in sports. Yeah. How awesome is it that you guys can, cause you guys can totally relate to each other. Man, there was this moment. Um, in fact, I'll tell you exactly what game it was. It was the first time Jimmy G came in for the Niners. It was against the Seahawks. And they came after the, back. They didn't come back. They lost. They oh, lost okay. that game pretty bad. But Jimmy G came down, and his two first passes for the 49ers were a, a fourth down completion where they moved it because Beathard got injured. Jimmy right. G comes in, gets a first down, then throws a touchdown to end the game. And as I see McDaniel, I was at the game and I went to McDaniel's for, you know, I flew out on the red eye. So I went to his house and had dinner or his apartment at the time with him and his wife and his mom. And, uh, and I told him, I kept being like, dude, Jimmy G, Jimmy G. Every time I'd say, I'd be like, sign that handsome son of a bitch up. He could wing his pigskin. <laughs> but McDaniel and I were having pizza that night and we we're at pizza at his apartment. And uh, McDaniel and I were friends with like, kind of like uh the rough kids in middle school like the mm. kids that would you know i was smoking cigarettes at 12 he wasn't but i was and right um we we're just kind of you know we hung out with the bad kids but we were who the bad kids made fun of we were the two kids at the bottom of the group so yeah. they were always shitting on us you know just for not doing stuff for yeah. not being good at skating or whatever it was so mcdaniel and i are eating pizza at his house and he's like dude isn't it crazy that we were the bullied ones of that group? And you're like, dude, kind of worked out. This should be a this should be a commercial for bullying. <laughs> Where you're like, just bully the kids that you think are kind of weird, and they're gonna end up with phenomenal adult lives. It's That's just, it is funny that you say like I have I have a friend from college that is like a big time sneaker designer. Yeah, and like, you know, man, like when you're when I'm sitting next to Shaq and shit, and then I get back to my phone and it's exploded. Yeah. And then, but I have one text from him where he's like, don't worry about the text messages until tomorrow. And I was yeah. like, shit, like, but like, it's, you know, it's someone that kind of gets it. Cause yeah. you saw him doing all the, the, the grunt work too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure people it, see you on billions. And like you were saying before we started, like, 
you're getting called Mafi. You know what I mean? Like, oh, dude, that's that that's that that comes with the territory, and that's yeah. something I got to learn. That you're just like these. There's people that don't give a shit about comedy. That don't give a shit about me doing comedy, and they just know me as that, and that's awesome because that's it's such an it's awesome a great job. character to be known for. Well, that's how George Kittle knows me, and so you know he followed me on Twitter, and when I went out there for the Vikings game for the divisional playoff game i got there early me and another friend my buddy chad were coming from, he was coming from colorado and i was coming from new york <clears throat> to support mcdaniel and obviously i'm a lifelong 49er fan like, yeah my family's from the that's bay awesome that he went to your team like that dude my dad my dad is from san francisco he's from the bay area and my mom is from her family's from colorado so when my parents split when i was really little i was the 49er fan among all the bronco fans and I would go to San Francisco to see my dad and love being out there with the Niners and stuff. So when McDaniel would bounce from team to team, I, I would always kind of be like, hey, dude, I'm, I'm, I would support the Redskins. I would support the Browns. I would support the Falcons because yeah. he's my buddy. But, dude, when Kyle took the job as the f- head coach of the 49ers, I thought McDaniel was going to step up as the OC of the, of the Falcons. Mm. That's what I thought was going to happen. Right. And then I checked my phone and a San Francisco phone number text me, and I swipe the text, and it just says, dude i'm a 49er and i was like mcdaniel and he was like what's up buddy and i was like let's fucking go i was dude that was i i still i screen grabbed that text and i still have it on my computer because it was like i showed that to my mom and she's like daddy's insane so i uh i go out to minnesota for the game and i get there before mcdaniel is going back to the facility for team meetings they got to do the team meetings for the vikings game and uh, I show up at his house, and he's like, dude, that's crazy. And I tell him, I go, yo, George Kittle, uh, I go, say what's up to my close personal friend, George Kittle. He follows me on Twitter. And he's like, he does follow you? And McDaniel's not on social media. And he's like, he follows you on Twitter? I'm like, yeah. So he goes to the facility, and before the team meeting, he goes up to George Kittle, and he's like, hey, dude, I, I heard you're following dudes on Twitter that I used to sleep in the same room as my underwear, or in my underwear in the same room with when I was 12. And George Kittle's like, what he's like what the hell are you talking about coach and then they go do the team meeting and then mcdaniel comes back and he's like yeah dude my boys uh dan soder plays my fee on billions he's like oh my god so then uh this is after they won the nfc i went out for all the playoff games because i'm not gonna miss that run of course i lost all my delta miles <laughs> i thought i was gonna earn delta miles this year <laughs> and then COVID was like get them all getting, back you know, you're not getting any of those back None. i spent all of my Delta. I mean, I've been I do flying. think Delta's locking in status, though. Not to get they are. They are. I'm still platinum this year, but I had a couple years at Diamond, and I I stacked up some miles. So yeah. I was like, I'm gonna go back for these Niner games if I can, just if I can. If they're in the playoffs, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I make it out there. So I got to go to the NFC Championship game, which was unbelievable, and they beat totally. the Packers. And McDaniel's wife is like, "Come on, let's just go on the field." And I was like, "Okay, cool, whatever." Yeah. So she sneaks us on the field, me and my buddy and her get on the field and we're looking for McDaniel or whatever. And George Kittle's like hugging his family or whatever. And people, and he turns around and he's like, what's up, dude? And I was like, this is unbelievable. And that's, I feel like all that good stuff made Corona happen. So I apologize to the world. Oh, you think you had too many good things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Me and Big J. Auto correct. Yeah. Big J and I talked about this on the bonfire. I'm always one of those people where anything good happens. I go, all right, where's the bad stuff happening? And then it was like COVID happened, and I was like, you know what? I had an HBO See? special in the and Niners. This is not this Bowl. is not a dig. I would believe you if the Niners won the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that would that would be yeah. as positive to equal that this. 
I think it was the start, man. I think the Niners losing the Super Bowl because I, I remember being like, how could this get worse? And then it's like, oh, there's an infectious disease that's going to shut down everything for seven to 18 months, however long it's going to take. How, but yeah, that was that was I one of the coolest moments. As a Niner fan, like this turnaround relatively has been quick in the two years because there were about five years in a row where the Niners were kind of sitting in that nothingness after Harbaugh. Yeah, man, I think it was, um, again, I love McDaniel, but I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard 49er fan, and I'm going to be there after he leaves and whatever. But yeah. it, was, it was a mixture of, I think, the 49er. Trent Baalke did, a, did some good, but I, I don't think it was a cohesive unit. No. I don't think the front office was locked in with themselves. Credit to Jed York for getting out of the way, which is what a lot of owners don't do. I think, Jed, I think Jed got out of the way and supported which I might have said on Katie Nolan's garbage time show. Um, That's but, honestly the first time I saw you was that garbage time show. Well, it resulted in us dating, so I'm pretty cool about it. Yeah, she it says hello. Out. By the way, uh, this is I said hello. Too. This is her guest room. I'm squatting at her house. Uh, <laughs> but it is. Um, it was squatters one of those things. Rights. where <laughs> yeah, squatters. You can't kick me out, Katie. I got squatters rights. What do you but mean? They, but they. Um, I think what happened was bringing in Kyle, you brought in a young guy who's obsessed with football, who's a great coach, and this they made a deal. Way. Yeah, they, they made the deal with him and Lynch where you have a front office and a head coach that communicate well, like the picks they made. My, and I think they started building. Think, what I think Balky did was they had Harbaugh, and Harbaugh was like, I want veterans. And they started like locking up all these vets and taking risks in the draft. Remember, they drafted Marcus Lattimore, the running back. They drafted like yeah, out of South three Carolina. drafts in a row where a dude just tore his ACL. And they're like, we're good enough to handle this. Yeah, they also, uh, I believe the first year Harbaugh was there, they drafted Alden Smith, who I, I would like to see do really well for the Cowboys. I don't want to see the Cowboys do well, but I think Alden Smith has a really tough yeah, journey. And he had it. potential when he was, man. I, I mean, I, I think he showed his potential. Yeah. I mean, the, he was the sack leader as a rookie. He came in and he was unbelievable. And Balky was making those kind of moves. But then I started, uh, I was lucky enough to do a web series with the 49ers um, because of our buddy, Robert Alberino. Mm. And he brought in me and Al Madrigal and Tommy Jonigan and David Huntsberger to do this, like just for the 49ers website, like this right. weird, this like weird uh, um, web series where we're like previewing Levi stadium. Cause it was before Levi's was finished. Right. And so I got to start meeting people in the organization and talking to people. And then you start realizing like, you know, this I don't know how good of an atmosphere this is. I think I think Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh is a I think John Harbaugh is a great NFL coach. I think Jim Harbaugh is a great college coach because John Harbaugh is a a firm handshake, a look in your eye, but everyone will be accountable to be fine. Jim wants to be the ruler. Yeah. And and that's not working in the NFL. No, not at all. You and can't tell just million. For the players for like all of the the adults that are working in the business side of it. Yeah, I think that's a. I think you nailed it, and I think that's much more um, attainable in on the collegiate level, where you can kind of tell these guys like, "Hey, you're only going to have four years with me." Right. Whereas you sign a, you know, you sign a lineman to a six year deal, and he's like, "I got to spend six years, and I'm getting paid millions of dollars to be yelled at like this." I don't. Yeah. I think it was the first, um, like, you started seeing some people break in the organization where there was a rumor that half the team was showering at the stadium, half the team was showering right. at the facility. And 
and there were guys that were you know like uh boone which is one of our great guards kind of he said he liked harbaugh but he was like that guy gets irritating right and you started seeing the cracks and then kaepernick just blew up and no one could stop him and we had that defense that right. Mike Nolan really put together. Mike Nolan and Trent Balky put together, and then you know uh, Singletary helped add pieces like Navarro Bowman, and then what we a got run to of the coaches you had. Mike oh, Nolan in in the suit, like a three piece suit. Singletary yeah. getting the job because he went on one I rant. What? Oh, winners! I want winners! Winners! I win. have now interviewed every players at almost every level in which Mike Singletary has coached. Yeah, all of them have told me that he's a certified like. I don't want to. I'm trying to figure out what is appropriate. He has no idea what the fuck he's talking about sometimes when he's coaching. But I like, love that. That that's great for like a linebackers coach or like a. Because like Bart Scott told me one time that they would be in the room, and this is like the room in the Ravens yeah. where it's Bart Scott and Ray Lewis and yeah. uh, man, they had so many guys. Like James Sharper, and they would get up there and and they were like. When you call this play, you're going to go left and you're going to go down. And yeah. I, and somebody was like, that's absolutely incorrect. And he stormed out. He's like, I'm not taking this shit. And like Bart Scott was like, get the fuck out of here. You ain't ever come. Like that was just Mike Singletary all the time. I think there was a change in how the NFL was coached uh, within the last 15 years where it went from old dudes in uh, gym shorts and, and hats and whistles being like, you did it wrong. You did it wrong to a guy like Kyle Shanahan who will be playing little Wayne in his office and they can walk in and be like, yo coach, this sucks. And he'd be like, well, why does this suck? Why are we, you know? Right. And I, th I think that's what saved the 49ers. And I think that's and what I think they if built. you're an NFL fan, I think you should look at your coach and what Dan just said and go, which side of the line do you want? Yeah. Because, because like right now you must feel like I have Doug Peterson as an Eagles fan. Yeah. I feel confident in their inability to innovate. And that gives me hope every year. But if I was yeah. one of these other teams where it's like, we're just going to hit them in the face. It's like, Oh, we're fucked. Yeah. I mean, even a guy like, I think the originator of that was Mike Tomlin. I think that's why the Steelers have had so much success or they've stayed. It's why they haven't dropped is, is because they, they're kind of going along in this route is because I think Tomlin is a guy that, uh, you know, I think he's got a little bit of that, like, I'm the coach, you're going to respect me. There's no doubt you're going to respect him. But I also think that a lot of it's like a guy can go and talk to Tomlin and mm. be like, yo, this sucks. And he's like, why does it suck? You know, as opposed to like, you're the player, I'm the coach, which Harbaugh had. In, that was just, that was who he was. So let me, so, give, you, let me give you just a Niners uh, boner really quick. I just had my guy Sims on. So your best friend is uh, Mike McDonald. I yeah, Michael McDaniel. Michael McDaniel. McDonald as my best friend would be cooler. There's not a cooler person than hey, yeah. How you doing, Dan? I'm like, I'm good right, to Michael. hear from you, Dan. <laughs> I'm uh, like, I'm sorry, the Doobie Brothers canceled. Got canceled. That tour was gonna slap. So I hosted a show for like five years with my guy Chris Sims. He's yeah. best friends with Kyle Shanahan, and I said, "Tell me the truth about Brandon Ayuk with Debo Samuel going down. What do you think about yeah, this?" Yeah, yeah. Samuel's foot broken. And, and Chris said it was really hard for me for all the months leading up to the draft, not telling everybody about this kid because Kyle was ready to take him at 13, not Damn. just 31. And he thinks that he could be like the super yards after catch monster. Yeah, man, there was, um, man, there's just something like how their eye for talent and kind of how, what Kyle, Kyle, has, Kyle has a wide receiver eye. Yeah, I mean, Kyle also allows his coaches 
to oh. Because, you know, not only McDaniel runs the run game and then you have Mike uh, LaFleur who runs the passing game, whose brother is the head coach I of the Packers. I always think about dodgeball when I hear those two brothers' names. Yeah, the LaFleurs. Yeah, dude, you can't not. Get out of here, LaFleur. LaFleur. Yeah. But um, LaFleur and, you know, they, they work on the passing game or whatever. But McDaniel, uh, last summer I talked to him and he was like, yeah, you know, Wes Welker is going to be our wide receivers coach. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, dude, that's insane. And then after the Vikings game, McDaniel immediately goes to his office and we're like, because we wanted to wait for the stadium to, to let out so we could drive back to his house in San Jose. And, and he was like, uh, he just goes to his office and starts watching film. <laughs> like we're just in the office and McDaniel's like immediately got the, the Vikings game up. He's looking at the blocks that missed the runs yeah. that could have gone. You know, he's like telling me, he's like, oh, Tevin could have got through that. Did you do that so, with your special at all? Like, did you did you sit down and watch Son of a Gary? Uh, I edited it. I went into the editing oh, bay. So, so you have so you to. You were edit sick it. of it by the time it got out. Yeah, man, I ran it into the ground. I ran it. I did Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and then I went on. You know, I I think I built that thing for like a solid two years. Wow. So by the time, by the time it was like ready to go and film it, I filmed it. Then I didn't even think about it for about a uh, two weeks. And then you had to go sit in the editing bay and you're like, like oh, Ugh. but again, you like editing think, bay will take the joy out of anything. Yeah, it's man, any comic for too long. My only advice for any comic editing an hour special is listen to it first. Don't watch it. Listen to it, because if you listen to it, you can hear where all the jokes are. You know how the jokes are going to go. And then when you see it, that's where you start getting weird. Like when I see my hand reach out in a way where I'm like, why am I reaching out like that? Mm. That's dumb. But on my first hour special on Comedy Central, uh, not special, I watched it first and it it fucked me up. I was like, man, this isn't this isn't good. Like I'm I just didn't like the way I was standing. Yeah. I didn't like the way I was holding the mic and then I wasn't concentrating on how the joke sounded. So yeah, I think it's different. Like McDaniel wanted to watch film almost immediately, but Wes Welker was chilling. They're all, you know, everyone's like hanging out, celebrating, drinking beers in the office and watching film. And uh, Wes Welker's just chilling in his office watching film with us. And I was like, this is fucking surreal. <laughs> this is so Wes surreal. Wes is one of the best guys to drink with. One of the coolest human beings I've met. But he was Don't ra- forget he went to Texas Tech. Like, Amendola is very similar. He went there, too. Yeah. Like, guys that partied in Lubbock in their 20s. Like, they just don't look at life the same. They're just like, come on, we're going to go down. Like, I got a can of paint. We're going to figure yeah. this shit out. Yeah, man. And he was going nuts about Debo Samuel. And this is like, again, Debo had a good, had a great rookie season, but kind of was more known for taking end arounds and, yes. and kind of known for being like a, a bigger receiver or whatever. The love that Wes Walker was talking about Debo Samuel got me so excited for this season, for this upcoming yeah. season, because he was like, he kept telling me, he's like, man, just wait till we get an off season with him where we can put weight on him in the right way and we can get him trained. And, and we he can, gets injured. And then he breaks his foot, and I was like, a son of a bitch. But well, think about it. If you have, if IU can be what I'm saying, plus what, D, what Wes Welker's saying about Debo, plus the ultimate mismatch in Kittle, plus four running backs, plus the best uh, fullback in the game in Kyle Juszczyk. Kyle Juszczyk is Kyle Juszczyk is unbelievable. And that was one of the things that McDaniel told me when he first got to San Francisco. He got in Kyle's ear and was like, we got to sign Juszczyk. We got to get Juszczyk. Yeah. And that guy has been such a utility player for us. And and- to, have, to have Kittle and Juszczyk as these two movable pieces 
that now you're guaranteed to have your quarterback protected. You can do any power running you want, but they're both able to catch the ball. Yeah. It, it's like I look at the different evolutions of their offenses together. And the Falcons was definitely the quickest, but it lacked that powerful punch that you needed for playoff football. And yeah. now all the pieces are there. And that's why I get excited. I think about it like Andy Reid for years was trying to find it. He was like, oh, this Donovan McNabb T.O. thing is pretty good. Yeah. But now the Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek, it's like you finally have the pieces you needed. Exactly. And I think that's what's, what's great about Kyle Shanahan is that he understands when you have someone like LaFleur and McDaniel kind of working on their own, building that strategy, then you can just get Kyle can go to McDaniel and be like, I need two runs. And he can go to LaFleur and yes. be like, I need two passes. And, and the way that their system works is so insanely intricate. And McDaniel tried to explain to me calling an audible at the line. He tried to explain to me how there's like eight different options at the line that you can call that lead. It's like a, a tree branch. It just goes in different mm. places. And it's like different hand signals, stuff like and, that. And you working in sports media and, uh, you know, knowing people in sports media, I think fans oftentimes are like, these idiots, they don't know. You're like, do you understand how fucking complicated it is oh. to be an NFL quarterback? How insanely complicated it is to go to a place and have to, like, Cam Newton has to go to Foxborough and learn a whole new language. Yes. A whole new language that, that Belichick's been speaking fluently with Brady for 20 years. It's like a language that he had, like, between twins. Well, and then he's what like, you're saying, though, about Kyle, I'll say also about Bill. The good coaches in the NFL are going to go to Cam, and they're going to go, what did you call this? Maybe yeah. we can go build around you. Now, the that's other coaches be. that are, like, those stubborn coaches that are like, this is my system, that's yeah. when you get these young quarterbacks. Like, I always feel bad about the quarterbacks that never have any content. Like, oh, you mean Alex Smith? <laughs> oh, you mean uh, or the, the other person I that I have the most remember, empathy for ever in the NFL? Remember Jason Campbell? Yeah, out of, of course. Auburn. Out of Auburn. He was unbelievable. And, and he, had, he had five different OCs his first four years. And they're yeah, cool. where did he go to? Washington, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, he yeah, play, Jason, and he played for that organization. Dude, come see, come see me in NCAA college football with a Jason Campbell-led Auburn. You're going to have problems. With Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams? Exactly. That double backfield. Whoo, NCAA with Auburn that those years that that was a problem team. I upset no. the internet last a uh, few months ago because I said that Madden has always been a better game than incorrect uh, college, but incorrect. I just haven't really played in like the last. Six incorrect. Years. Uh, you're talking to a man who's in his ninth year of a dynasty on NCAA college football. Still, I still which, remarking. Uh, which university? University of Illinois, dude. I built the Illini up. Why Illinois? Because why not? They've never been good. I've never had a year. Even when Ron Zook was there, I was like this. They were Are you never. So will you reset the game if you're losing? Okay. No, nah, man. No, nah, man. I'm I'm nine seasons in, and I have five national championships. But I have a twelve and one season where I should have won, and I lost to a I lost to, uh to Kentucky. A very. If I was gonna like be really honest right now, one of my greatest character flaws is when I was growing up, I would hit reset. And I, I look back at that stage of my life as a weaker human that couldn't accept failure. Adam, I appreciate your honesty. And let me tell you right now, I was the same. Nice. Okay, good. So me, I can get it past that. It took me until my 30s to be like, no, 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 no. Accept the loss. Oh, <laughs> I, like, all I had was undefeated oh. Madden seasons. No, man, because then when you actually do it, it feels better. And when you lose, so like I remember I started my dynasty with Illinois and they were like terrible, but you have a, 
here's what I love about NCAA. Fans of that video game are such diehard fans that the servers are still up for, for yes. Xbox Live and EA Sports. So you can get last year. I started with last year's rosters. So I'm playing with this year's Illinois team. Wow. Decent, decent team. Um, and we got – I lost to Washington. And I was so mad that I lost to Washington that I was like, I'm going to play them every year of my dynasty from here out, and I'm going to run the score up. So now that I'm like the Alabama of – now Illinois is the new Alabama. Yeah. I just put beatings on Washington every year. Every, every year you're scheduling my first, first game. First game. It's like, <laughs> it's like, like when Colorado plays Colorado State, you're like, yeah, of course, they're in way different divisions. It's like, no, 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 no. I want to beat the hell out Are of Are you Washington. a big Arizona fan? Because you no. went- Couldn't care less. Uh, tried running them, tried running with them on an online dynasty, and they sucked. Mm-hmm. I went to Arizona just to get out of Colorado because yeah. I felt like I was going to be too comfortable in Arizona. I, I was Arizona the- as fun as people make it seem it's going to be. If you're a rich kid, if you're a rich kid, and your dad gives you a Range Rover and a credit card, you're going to have a f- hell of a time. If so you're, uh, yeah, if you're from a lower middle class neighborhood in Aurora, Colorado, and your mom gives you. Twenty dollars a week. <laughs> you're not gonna. You're gonna be oh, drinking a lot of our Gordita Supremes. For yeah, dude, you're gonna be you're gonna be drinking a lot of Ice House and uh, learning how. Yeah, it sucked. I didn't like it. That's why I started doing stand up. Was because I just didn't enjoy you the. Was, you saying Ice House? I mean, do, I look at drinking now, and now I'm like, like I'm. To me, it's like if I'm out with my friends, I'm down. But like, I'm not someone that just kind of drinks. I'm more of a relaxer smoker but yeah. when i was in college man like a cheap cold beer i felt like i i had conquered the world man if i could get a, a 30 if i could money? get a 30 a 30 stone a 30 oh. uh, dude a, a big just a big box of 30 stones somebody would are, bring in rolling rock and you're like whoa this is an upscale shit right now adam i'm not lying i quit drinking in 2013 but up until Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Thank you for making Rolling Rock. I lo- that was my like. I got a little bit of money. I think I'm gonna get a six or a Rolling Rock. Whoa, that's how I was with Yingling. And Yingling, yeah. Yingling always sounded good because you couldn't get it in certain states. Yeah, that was Fat Tire for me because I loved Fat Tire beer from Colorado. So whenever it was another, I'd be like, you know, I'm from Colorado and Fat Tire is from yes, Colorado. That's how I was with uh, Yingling. I was like, it, in Pottstown. Oh, dude. Yeah, man. Every All my Philly friends are always like, you won't get Yingling, dude? And you're like, I don't know. Yingling, Yingling to me was the East Coast like Budweiser. It was just like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll grab a Yingling. But I loved in college, man, if I could get a 30 rack oh. of light and just dump it into a cooler and you're like we're good man we're good for the for the day possibly the weekend oh it just it was such a simpler time yeah but ncaa has stuck with me and i still <laughs> play it to this day and uh i always thought it was better than madden and i really think that we're we're starting to see an opportunity that the game might come back there's a it's, good chance it's, it goes it goes back to like this whole like if we can get the money to the college kids and it can serve both of these purposes, where somehow these kids are getting checks and everybody that loves this video game, because I, I look at things based on the strength of their communities. There yeah. are some people that no matter where they go, they bring an audience with them and it's very impressive, but it also shows they must be giving to their community a lot. Yeah. That franchise, it, it's a st- like, I don't know if Madden would have that. With- I don't think Madden does because I have played Madden since the beginning. 
just like NCAA college football. I played Madden since the very beginning it came out and I would play and it is a thing that I leave because it's what I liked about NCAA was its simplicity. You could it was Madden stripped down. It mm. was Madden with more fumbles in a in a pitch button and weirder play yeah, see, i was always a thrower and i feel like people that love to run maybe it's because you grew up with the run game <laughs> yeah he was getting in my head he like people getting... that are like tech mobile and i'm like all it is is just laterals and stuff and i was like i love the vision code man i will tell you one of the only moments i've ever had with like a pro athlete where we've been on the same is we had uh big j and i had dak prescott on okay. bonfire and we were doing this bit where I was just asking about Jimmy G. Um, our producer, Black Lou, is like a diehard Cowboys fan. So he had all these Cowboys fans questions. And then Big J, diehard Philly Eagles fan. Oh, I love him already. Just could, just kept asking. Dude, he said my favorite thing in the world. He goes, is it, is uh, Jay goes, he wouldn't speak to him the whole interview. And finally at the end of the interview, he goes, I have a question for you. Is it true at training camp, Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin make all the rookies mouth kiss them? And he goes, uh, man, that hasn't happened since I've been there. And Jay goes, so you're, you're not saying it hasn't happened. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things. But Dak, I asked Dak, I'm like, do you play Madden? You know, like, do you play Madden? Are you yourself when you play Madden? He's like, nah, man, I don't play Madden. I was like, did you ever play, you know, football video games growing up? He's like, I was obsessed with NCAA college football. And you're like, there we go. And he was like, yeah. And he did the same exact thing that I and every other person that loves that game. You take a team that sucks and you build them into an undeniable dynasty. Yeah. That, that's just fun. Madden, it's like. You're right. Madden, you're dealing with like salary cap. Like a lot of it is accounting stuff. Where in that, it's like an EA, the college one, it's recruiting and like. And that's fun. You can get into the recruiting where you're stealing players from rivals. In Madden, you'd have to like set parking prices. Was that a thing? Hot dog prices. You had to set things. In in NCAA, you you're a lot of like the Joe Banner GMs of the world. Not exactly. Yeah. It was it was made for the people that enjoyed the game. Coach, do you remember when they made Coach? You remember the game, Coach? Oh, cool. Do you want to call the plays and then not have any fun about it? At that time, NFL 2K was starting because. Yeah. And Madden was focusing on coach and NFL 2K was like, we have touchdown celebrations. We yeah. have T.O. on the cover and mm-hmm. we can put you inside of the mask. You're not going to be able to understand anything going on, but it's going to be, you're going to be there. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's a cool visual. Yeah. NCAA state, you know, I think it's like fun to recruit. You get to, you can take away a number one quarterback from people. And then you're like, Hey, and then this guy's just going to sit on the bench. Cause I got a <laughs> dynasty, but you, you know, the math thing, it just Madden to me became, overly complicated mm. it just became a thing where i was like i don't care how much this fullback wants a year i i don't know i just want to move forward and play the next season my and- problem, we had we had a we had a franchise where we had four franchises in the same one and the yeah. problem was one of our friends spent all this money and it became mathematically impossible for him to field a team and also he couldn't get out of the contracts and so we had to shut the franchise down because our contracts froze the game and yeah, I was man. like, this is not fun. That's not fun at all. That's not fun at all. Uh, Who's your Shane favorite G- Niner of all time? Ronnie Lott. There's no doubt in my mind. So Ronnie Lott's the greatest of My life. favorite Eagle of all time is Brian Dawkins. Hell yeah, dude. And my Hard second favorite player of all time that is a, my favorite player of all time that is a non-Eagle is Ronnie Lott. He's I man, have dude. a Ronnie Lott jersey. He's the best. I have three Because of back them. when we were talking Get about ripping things with Napstar, one of my friends was bringing in jerseys from China 
authentic jerseys. And I was the kid at Syracuse. It's like, who needs a Reggie Bush authentic? Damn. And I and I had a Ronnie Lot. Now, like I sold three, and I was sitting on twenty because yeah. the Reggie Bush numbers were too close on the front, and people oh, were no. like, "This is clearly not real." <laughs> but so Dude, I, I just started wearing authentic jerseys all the time. I have yeah, a fellow Anthony Oak Hill. Yeah. Now, now we're missing each other by about ten years on that because when I was in middle school, I was obsessed with jerseys. Seventh and eighth grade. I mean, I had. Any jersey I could that we could afford, I would buy. Because I wasn't getting that. By the way, you could totally tell that I was raised by a single mom on a budget because my jerseys were never like I never had like a Peyton Manning or someone that was like big. I had like a I had a Grant Hill for the Pistons with the new colors. So the the teal with teal. the horse with the the yeah. car engine. Yep, exactly. I had the white one of that. I had um, a Ron Paulus Notre Dame jersey. It was just a number three. But I was rocking it because it was number three, and that was Joe Montana's number at Notre gotcha. Dame. So that was for me. Smart and then I had, dude, the best jersey that I had that no one saw coming that I bought when I was in seventh grade. To this day, my favorite purchase, a Ray Allen Yukon jersey. I'm interviewing Ray Allen later today. Dude, he's the man. Jesus Shuttlesworth is the man. I had that blue Connecticut 34 Honestly, to this day, still my favorite jersey of all time. This lends me into the thing that I'm obsessed with right now, and I've been wanting to talk about the entire time, which is uh, my new obsession with sports cards. Because when my was growing up, my brother somehow got a rookie card of Ray Allen. And all I had, I was so jealous of this guy. For the bucks, dude. So I I last year, sometimes I'll do work with this company called Thusio, where I'll interview an athlete in front of a lot of people that paid to be there, and it's an open bar, and I have a good time. Sure. Last year, I interviewed uh, Ric Flair for the second time. The man. And it was after he had a stroke. Yeah, he had uh, heart problems. Yes. Yeah, because I was supposed to roast him in Vegas. Man. So they they said, pick three video clips to to show and then talk about i said okay and the third one i picked was during his retirement every wrestler came out and said thank you and one of the last ones was undertaker and undertaker came out and he did the whole thing and then he walked over and he dropped it and he hugged him and and i had never seen undertaker do that and so i just wanted to know what did undertaker whisper in your ear like that's all i wanted to know great question i play it and there's, again, hundreds of people. And I turn, and he's a mush. He is crying hysterically. And now there's the host in me that's going, let this fucking breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In your brain, you're like, content. Then there's, like, then there's the, like, uh, this is Ric Flair, and I feel awful. And so, like, I put my hand on him. I was like, bro, it's, it's all good. Man. We're all good. And he had forgotten that moment because of what had happened to him. And he had wanted to tell that to his new wife. And he's like, I'm just so happy to have that moment. So for oh, me, I'm great. like, I'm just, I'm like, this is, this is the reason you want to have conversations was for emotion and feeling. Hell yeah. Did he tell you what Taker said? Uh, he just said, he said that he said that he loved him so much and he's the greatest of all time. And, and, but he said the fact that Taker broke kayfabe. Yeah, dude. That was a big. He never does. Yeah. Meant the world to him. Uh, if you want to see uh, wrestling's response to the last dance, watch the last ride, the Undertaker documentary. 
which was five hours that could have easily been two hours it was i watched it all and it's just like the jordan doc you're like man they really got to everything but there was stuff i kind of wanted to know more about yes. but it was like it was like the perfect amount of it was 10 episodes so it was yes. like a weekly thing and everyone got into it and vince mcmahon was like we're gonna do it with the undertaker and you're like I kind of just want to see like an hour or two of like the Undertaker's final journey. I have he kept being like, I'm retired. I've heard I'm the best retired. stories about Undertaker are, are afterwards partying. Like I heard yeah, he's man. a legend. Like Rick was, told me this story. He said, you want to know what it's like partying with the Undertaker? We were supposed to go to China for a, for a big match. I don't know why I just said it like that. Yeah, match. <laughs> no, I said China. Like, I, I China. <laughs> anyway. yeah, yeah. So he said he fell asleep from partying and he woke up on the flight. I guess he fell asleep on the flight because they were partying on the flight. And he woke up in Chicago with his hands like this on the plane. What? And they said that Undertaker put him back on the plane with his hands in the Undertaker like you are now asleep forever. And like the, the, uh, the stewardess was like, he told us not to wake you. Damn. So wait, yeah. they were just partying so hard. He's like, he passed out. There, there are parties. Like I asked him one time, this is a different interview. I was like, what was it like? Not the four horsemen in the ring, but the four horsemen outside. Oh, dude, a hammered Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard just causing shit at a bar in Georgia in 1984. In the hotel bars. So he said that after a match, he said that during the match, they would get up there and go, if you want us, we're at the Holiday Inn on yeah, Sepulveda. Yeah, yeah. And they would get there and there would be like, 70 women but there would also be like 20 husbands that were like this is insane like what is mm. happening right now and Dude, that is easily but anyway, um, the, reason, well, the reason i brought it up i'm sorry is some guy some guy that was there sent these to me rick flair the night that i interviewed him he sent me these he got these autographed that night come on wcw so, cards i got a couple packs of those at home and so that's like when you're bringing up like Ray Allen, like I, do you have cards at all? Uh, yeah, dude. My my buddy Mark, who I went to college with, one of my only friends from Arizona that I made, that was like a lifelong friend. He lives in Portland, and he's a he, you know successful businessman. He's got a family or whatever. He gets bored, and um, to help with his OCD or to help with his insomnia, he started buying uh, full sets of cards, but like unopened. NBA cards. He did the NBA and MLB an sealed box for so much money. No, for not that much. He found like he found tops cards from '91 that, and so I came to his house and he's like, "Hey, do you just want to hang out and open up basketball cards?" And so we just sat there opening NFL and basketball cards, talking, you know, catching up. But I'd be like, "Oh my God, look at this, a Rick Smiths!" And he'd be like, oh, they would, "I'd have a pile it's of like, rush, I'm gonna, man. it's fun, it's very fun." But you know what's crazy is I'm a you know diehard wrestling fan and have been my whole life, and was lucky enough um, because of Billions to get to because he was a fan of Billions. I got to know and become friends with Bruce Pritchard, who is Brother Love, uh, who works for the WWE, has a wonderful podcast with Th Conrad Thompson called Something to Wrestle, and I was really into the podcast. And so Bruce comes out to shows in Austin, and he's like, uh, he lives in Texas. He wasn't with the WWE at the time, and I was working at Cap City in Austin. And he's like, um, you know, come on out, man. Like, I was like, come on out to the show. I'll get you tickets. He's like, man, I might just, me and my buddy might come, and we might do a whole weekend and just kind of party. And I'm like, dude, come and hang out, man. I got your tickets. So he comes to the Friday night shows, 
And he calls me on Saturday and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing today? And I was like, uh, it was the sec championship. And I was like, I'm going to watch Georgia, Alabama and the sec championship. He's like, hell man, I think they got it on at the Hilton at the restaurant here at the Hilton downstairs at the bar. Why don't you come and watch the game with me? I'll have lunch. I'm like, dude, that'd be bad. Cause talking to Bruce Pritchard, man, I've heard stories about Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and Andre. It's the and best. He, I mean, you know, Pritchard was there from the mid '80s up and through up until now, so he knows everything that happens. I'm like, yeah, dude, that'd be awesome. I'd love to. I'd love to come get lunch with you. So I park my car, I walk into the Hilton to the restaurant, and I turn the corner, and Bruce is sitting there with his buddy and the Undertaker, and it's just Bruce and the Undertaker and this guy. And I was that like, that was the buddy. Yeah, I walked in and I was like, and did he have a bandana? He had a hat on. He had a black hat on, and it was right after he wrestled for the last time at WrestleMania against Roman Reigns, which, wow. which was that big match. You know, when he put the coat in the in the glasses, with the meme yeah. with the guy with the eyes popping out of his head. Yeah, no, that was Brock Lesnar. That was WrestleMania okay, thirty. Bad. This was this was thirty one or thirty two where he uh, lost to Roman Reigns. And then left his jacket in the ring with the hat and got hip surgery. So I knew he had hip surgery. So I was just like, oh, man, I wanted to see how he moved. I, I was interested in that as a wrestling fan. Stand up, Taker. Let's dance a little bit. Hey, hey, well, why don't you throw me into the ropes? Um, but he, I, got a, I got a message board on Reddit that I need to update. Dude, it's crazy. And uh, Bruce Pritchard is the man. And he put me over with Undertaker. And he was just like, you know, like, ah, Dan's a comic. He's funny. He's on the show Billions. And. You know, and Undertaker's like, cool, man, cool. You know, and then he starts warming up as lunch goes along. And then they start telling stories about partying in the early 90s, which were unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. He's like, they would just start stories with like, you remember New Year's Eve in Nashville, 91? And he's like, oh, shit, brother. Razor was there. And they just start talking. You're like, this is so unbelievable. I was, and, I, I was in a group chat the other night talking about Razor Ramon, how like, He's on my Mount Rushmore of just my personal favorite. Yeah. Oh, man. Scott Hall. I think I gave my brother man. like a thousand razor edges in his life. Dude, it's, it was the most fun move to put on a friend's little brother. If you didn't have uh, a brother at home, it was the best one. That and a sharpshooter were the uh, two best ones to throw on anyone. My dad but, chased me for three blocks because I gave my brother the sharpshooter on concrete. Oh, dude. I, I didn't threw, think about it. I didn't think about the twisting action. Yeah, I threw my friend's little brother, Cody, into the sharpshooter and put him in it. And it, he started crying, and I had to run out of his house because I was like, ah, I didn't mean to do that. We would recreate ECW in my friend's basement. Oh, yeah, you we, guys are Philly. They would, we would bring out, like, little baking sheets yeah. and, like, time getting hit in the head. Oh, yeah, yeah learn how to take a shot. Yeah. But it was, it was one of those moments where at the very end of lunch, I finally had to be like, yeah, I'm a huge Mark, man. I need you to acknowledge my restraint in not falling over you. Oh, um. I guess what what has it been like also I'm, I'm not about like you and Katie but like Katie has had such an interesting rise with sports fans and I always hear every time I hear a producer come and they're like listen we're trying to figure out a comedy sports show and I, I always feel like it's this unicorn that people talk about where everyone's like we need to find to build that perfect and, and Katie has had success doing it. You've been a part of it. But I'm more curious about your view of the sports comedy hybrid that everybody's looking for. Oh, man, I've known a, a lot of people that have tried to do it, you know, and, and, and watch people try it and watch people like Katie do it successfully, where, which I think is like, if, if you ask me as a comedian, what's the hardest thing to do is like, be funny with sports, because sports are, um, they're 
objective while being subjective. It's like there's a there's a finite outcome of a sports game, but then there's all this subjective opinions of like they should have done this and they could have done this, and everyone is it's it's like this weird thing where you're mixing religion with competition with everything where it's like i'm more devout to the 49ers than i am to any religion mm. because that's like that was what my family loved and that was what my dad loved and that's what we shared and so i have this burning passion for the 49ers so in a different world where i'm not a comedian and someone's making fun of the 49ers i'd be like fuck this guy what is this fucking guy now but as a comedian i'm like oh, you gotta make fun of everybody and the thing what i've what i've seen work uh and what I think makes it work is similar to what we were talking about with the 49ers front office. I think if you want successful sports comedy, the people, the powers that, that control everything need to get the fuck out of the way. They need to move. If, if you're going to hire a person for a job, mm. let them do the job they feel they need to do. Uh, Jed York didn't hire Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and then tell them who to draft right. or or to run the, the ball more a la a Dan Snyder or someone that I know for a fact is just muddling and shit that they shouldn't mess with. Where, the, where you start messing with shit that you shouldn't was, mess with. Was Mike in Cleveland with Kyle? Yeah. Well, how about, how about, how about the GM calling coaches on the sideline? Yeah, dude, it, it's but just anyway. – um, but but the but that's a perfect point because I asked McDaniel I was like what was it like working for Snyder and he's like it was it was awful yeah. it was awful yeah. and he gave me specific instances of they wanted Kurt Cousins and they drafted RG three right. and it's like well RG three wasn't a Mike Shanahan pick RG three is a Dan Snyder pick right. RG three was great and he did great but it was it was a, it was a move where you're like oh that's and I think that's what happens a lot in sports comedy is you get people that are like well this is actually what we think we should be doing it's like well then why the fuck did you hire this person mm. hire this person and let them do the thing they need when i do stand up on the road helium managers don't come up to me and they're like okay so the owner thinks you should do it like this it's like no you we have a contract that i'm gonna do 45 minutes to an hour mm. i'm gonna go fill that hour with you have to trust me that do i want you the think best that's because too. it's a it's a typical sports infrastructure and sports content is very like this is what we're doing and and thus it they think they they should have control over comedic content too yeah i i think it's i think it's a mixture of that and i think it's a mixture of it's a numbers game and i think when people stop being um stop trying to innovate when they stop trying to evolve and grow and make new things that people haven't seen before i think they get stale and i think people get really bored with it and i think people get like get bored making it sucks yeah yeah you you have to i think it's important with any kind of comedy you have to create the shit that you want to create you know i think i've been i've been uh very lucky in my career to have a lot of jobs but when people are like what if you say something on the bonfire that loses your job on billions then that's just how it's going to be because i think brian koppelman and david levine understand the creators of billions they understand that i'm a comedian mm -hmm. i don't live I'm lucky that I have that job and I'm lucky that I've been able to act in stuff. But if you were like, Hey, you can't act anymore, but you can do stand up and comedy and the way you've been doing, I would, there's, there, there's never a day where I'd be like, okay, let me act instead of doing comedy. Right. Cause it's just, to me, it's being funny. It's, it's bullshitting. It's, it's like, it's who I am as a person. So I think when you, when you see the mixture of sports comedy, you're, you're, you're seeing the people from the sports side, not understand comedy. Mm. They're like, 
well, don't offend them. We have NFL contracts or don't offend them. Right. And it's like, I also think, how about you just trust that the NFL would get the joke? Yes. I think there's that. And I also think that whenever I hear something pitched, it always turns into like, what recently happened that people made memes of, and let's put those images on the screen. And then that will be the joke. Where it's like, all right, yeah. guys, let's run through all the all the memes of LeBron going like this to J.R. Oh. Smith, and and it's like yeah. that. There, all you guys are saying is that was a funny thing. Let's do it, and there's no there's no writing to it. There's no that's usually yeah, my yeah. issue with sports comedy. And listen, man, I told Katie she's done stuff where she's gotten ripped off uh, about like you know Bachelor or Kicker NFL Kicker, mm. and you see her get no credit for that, and it's like, yo, I. I remember when she had that idea. So it's not like you can't tell me like, well, did you steal for somebody? It's like, no, Katie's very funny. She was watching the bachelor for her podcast and being like involved in the bachelor. And then she was like at the uh, pro bowl. And she was like, let me ask NFL players if they know if this is a kicker, a kicker or a contestant on mm. the bachelor. And I was like, I, I remember it's, it's the same thing that you said at the beginning of this podcast where you were like, Oh, whenever I hear a really funny joke and you go, that's really funny. Like she said that to me and I was like, that's fucking great. Yeah. And not like faux boyfriend trying to be supportive. It's like one of those things where you're like, that's a fucking unbelievable idea. Yeah. Like you should do that. Yeah. And I think where, where you're seeing the problem is, is people are getting in the way of that kind of creation too much, especially in sports. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like Stuart Scott was Stuart Scott because no one had been Stuart Scott yet. Correct. No one had, had brought in, no one had quoted hip hop. No one had quoted, done the things he'd done and had cool little catchphrases. Same with the Dan Patricks and the Keith Olbermans totally. and those people. They came in and had this fresh air of like, we're going to do what we want to do. And that got lost because they were like, we'll just be Dan Patrick. We'll just do what Keith Olbermann did, do what Stuart Scott did. And it's like, if you would have told them, you would have probably told Stuart Scott, be more like Chris Burns. Totally. Be more like Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not how you evolve. It makes me think about your religion comparison with sports, where not only do people root for teams, but they also talk about sports a certain way. And generationally, we're talking about sports completely different. Like my, yeah. my parents' generation, it was, if you care about anything other than Philadelphia sports, you're the enemy. And it was very yes. tribal. And yeah. our generation, I feel like, was, was we began to love random players that weren't on your team. You know, you had friends. I was in Denver. You had friends that were diehard Bulls fans that have never been to Chicago. Right. And you're like, how are you? And a now Bulls this fan? new generation, it's like fantasy centric and like social media. Like it's, or it's like daily fantasy. You know what I mean? Like it's certain guys. Yeah. Like you're now a LeBron fan and you don't even have to be a Lakers fan. Yeah, you could be like, I've liked LeBron. I know people that are like, I like LeBron in Cle Miami, Cleveland, LA. Right. And you're like, and so I think you, when, right. when younger generations talk about sports like that, I also think it becomes a generational thing. And who is typically running the networks? People yeah, that are like, no, we're talking about the NFC East. And it's like, yeah, nobody gives a fuck. Like, you gotta also, you wanna call comedy out is a thing where comedy is a thing where it's it doesn't exist in complacency you can't just be like you can't just keep doing the same thing i mean you can and then you're a hack and then people eventually just hate what you're doing or i think especially with comedy there's now more than ever a need of like true honesty mm. like are you making this to make yourself laugh right because listen i know people that are bullshitting that are wildly successful 
wildly successful that haven't said one funny thing to me that I've hung out. I, I know comics that are millionaires that have never made me smile, mm. that have been like, cool, man, that's that's awesome. You found out you found out the, the way to say it and the way to do it or whatever. And I know people that are worried they're not going to be able to pay their rent this month that are some of the funniest people on the planet that would run circles around those millionaires. And it's just I think it's like you, you have to remember why you're in it yeah. why are you making this thing are you making it to be funny are you making it to be sex listen man if you're going to be successful and you're just making it to be successful that's fine but the success won't last that long no you're going to get there and then you're going to get the big paycheck and then you're going to be like oh yeah that was the reason i mean this I is something here. that i read about all the time where it's if that is your metric of success is oh i am making money and i'm employed what happens when that's not there then you will deem yourself as unsuccessful but if success yeah, man, for you is doing what you're doing and working on your craft and just doing it, then yeah. you'll never be upset. Yeah, man. There was um, one of the nicest things that uh, that Katie said to me during quarantine was like, she was just like, man, I'm sorry you can't do the thing that you want to do every day, which is like, I can't do stand up. I mean, I can, and we're coming back and there's shows and, you know, outdoor events and, and yeah, do you think and New York is going to have some cool stand up stuff or no? I mean, I, th I think it's already kind of happening. Michael Che did some cool outdoor shows in Long Island City, and there's city, there's there's park shows, and there's stuff. The DIY attitude of stand-up is what I'm kind of enjoying watching right That's now. That's cool. People be like, let's find a way to do stand-up. And, you know, I went and worked a weekend on the road in St. Louis at Helium, and it was fun. Man, it was fun. Mm. But there was a moment where you're like, this might be too soon mm. to be inside, socially distant, yeah. but no masks. I watch myself spit when I talk, and I'm like, man, I can't wait for comedy to come back. But it will. Everything will return. We got the NBA coming yeah. back. Stuff. But is, you were saying that, I think that you, Katie was saying that you – I'm so bad at interrupting. Katie was – No, no, no. Uh, I'm sorry that you can't do the thing that you love. Yeah, but it was like a thing of, I've done stand-up for 15 years, which means six out of seven nights for the past 15 years, I've been doing sets. Wow. You, you know, I, my rule was, and I, a lot of comics I know, the rule is like you do 10 to 15 sets a week in order just to stay sharp. And then you go on the road and you do those five hour long, you know, and then you come back and you do sets. And it was a thing where you're like dedicated to doing it that my personality has changed now. Now I'm doing zoom shows i don't do zoom stand-up but i'm doing the bonfire via zoom mm. and we're doing stuff where on monday i went to big j's apartment because i had to go to a doctor's appointment in the city and then i was like why don't i just come by and we'll record i have a negative covid test so do you yeah why don't we record the show at your apartment and we sat and talked and two hours went like that where we were just like oh shit we're done that was an episode and it was like man that was just being in the room together and feeling that kind of energy yeah and so i think What's crazy about this COVID shutdown is I think it's going to allow people to find exactly what they want to do in the right way. I think you're going to be, I think it's mostly being uncomfortable. I think it's mostly being scared and nervous and shit, but I think coming out of it is like that appreciation of like when shit comes back, you're going to be like, all right, well, I remember what it was like when there was nothing. So now let me be a little more appreciative. We, we will all have the story of going uphill both ways in the snow for, our, for the next generations now. 100% that's our story but you know you also hope with sports when it comes back that maybe there's a little more decency in this in the stands maybe there's a little more like hey guys remember when we couldn't do this right. and now we can cheer like maybe there isn't uh you know a someone getting stomped out because they're wearing you know
know, Indians stuff at a at a Mets or, game or, or Niners, Raiders, or whatever the heck's going on. Just whatever are those, what are those things too? are. Yeah, I'm a Nuggets fan. That's the only Denver team I love is the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I picked on myself. Slim and trim, man. I'm nervous about a skinny Jokic. I'm very, very nervous about. A I'll tell you Jokic. who I saw a clip of him yesterday, and I so since I do the inside the uh, the NBA on TNT show, yeah. I get every article from every newspaper, and I just go oh, through all of them, and I'm just writing notes because if somebody says something, I want to have something. And yeah, I saw the other day that Plumley. I don't know which one you have. Yeah, Mason Plumley. We have Mason. Mason. Mason was like, Bull Bull could be special. And then when I saw that clip yesterday where he just went Eiffel Tower and just dropped it in, I yeah. was like, well, one, his autograph on his cards, it's just Bull Bull written like very – you could tell he took time on it. But yeah. he looks like one of those kids where you're like, man, if he could develop him and Jokic, that could be really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, you could look at you could really see a Duncan Robinson situation where you have like a Bull Bull at five, you have Jokic at four, and then you have a Michael, you have a Michael Porter. You know what I mean? Michael like, Porter Jr. You have that Michael. Porter Are you Jr. buying a lot? Of, like, if you were buying stock, would you buy Michael Porter Jr. stock? I'm uncertain. after his performance in this. After the yeah, I'm uncertain. After the summer league, I was like, yes, we got the right guy, and then he he got injured again a little bit, and you're like, Ooh. yeah. But I'm a big Gary Harris, and I love, you know, I mean, Jamal Murray, that whole team. Paul Millsap, I think, came to the Nuggets and showed them, like, here's how you be a team. Right. Which I think has been so valuable, is watching Millsap come in and kind of be like, hey, guys, don't, you know, with our run last year, losing to the, losing to the Blazers in seven. You just, uh, by the way, you just, um, this entire time, I, I had a thing that if you brought up Paul Millsap, that's when we had to end the podcast. So now is the <laughs> that's it. Yeah, dude, that's always our sign up. If you bring up Paul Millsap, we that, that's that. that's a sign where I need to I need to read the room and be like, maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm taking too much of this guy's fucking time. Dan, it was a pleasure yeah. to meet you and talk to you, brother. Dude, man, thanks so much. And what a fun conversation! I really, out of all the Zoom conversations, this one was very, very enjoyable. And uh, if you guys want to watch on Facebook and see the incredible guest room that he's camped out in right now, I highly encourage. Hey, check it out. We got everything in here. We got pop screens. We got we got Niners hats. We got everything. Um, yeah, make sure. Uh, yeah, what, what do you need to plug? What do we need to watch? Check out The Bonfire on Sirius XM, Comedy Central Radio, Sirius XM 95, Monday through Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. You can go listen to the podcast, which we put out. It's the best of. It's only a half hour, nice. but check it out. And then uh, HBO Max. Go get HBO Max and and uh, watch my special Son of a Gary. Awesome. Dan, you're the man. Ingbert, thanks for setting this up. For Dan Soder, you have to have a, like a little catchphrase here, whatever you want it to be. Go Niners. That's always my catchphrase. I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man. Well, holla, holla, holla. That's it.